Would you make our hearts sensitive to respond to your voice? And Lord, we, we are here to meet with the living God. We're here to meet with a God that speaks, that is at work, uh, and wants to speak this morning. So we love you. Grateful that we get to meet together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are going to wrap up our series in Genesis 3. We look at the devil, understanding who he is, what he's up to, and then we looked at uh, uh, temptation uh, the following week. Uh, if you remember, that is what the devil is up to. Um, he is tempting by deceiving, right? And then lastly, uh, last week we looked at sin, and now we're going to go all the way to the bottom of this dark hole, and today we're going to look at death. When Sela was, my oldest was, I think, five, uh, we got our first pet. We bought Sela a cat, and by bought Sela a cat, we went to the pound, took a cat home, and gave it to our child. Sela named our beautiful cat Barky. And Barky was a wonderful friend for about a year. And then Barky Now that my mic's working, let me say that again for effect. Barky died. And I realized that as her father, it was on me to present this information to her. The challenge being that I hadn't really fully worked out my theology of the animal afterlife, so I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. So we uh, were at the table, the dining room table, after dinner, playing a card game. I think it was hearts. And um, Jenny gave me the look. I knew it was time, so I told Selah, Selah, I'm sorry to tell you, um, but your cat died. Selah looked at me with wide eyes and said, so can we finish our game? <laughs> and so like the sensitive father I am, I crushed her in a game of hearts. <laughs> and that was that. I had a conversation with a friend. I think I've told you about this before. Some of you might remember this story. Uh, a man that I would consider an occasional mentor, and by occasional mentor, I mean when we connect, he always has wisdom to speak into my life, uh, Jim Fortner. And about three years ago, I was headed up to Anchorage, and I knew that my brother Jason and his wife Jess were there celebrating their anniversary. And so I called Jim and I said, hey Jim, how about we crash Jason and Jess's anniversary dinner? And Jim said, that sounds like a great plan. And so we did. We went to dinner with Jason and Jess, Jim and I. And we chatted for, uh, actually, for a couple of hours. And in that conversation, we were talking about community life and, and church family life. And I, I made the comment to Jim, and I don't remember how we got there in the conversation, but I said to Jim, uh, it's been interesting uh, for our church in that we have not uh, yet been really uh, personally touched by a significant death. Um, and not that we don't have people who have had 
friends or family members die, but nothing that's been like really close to home for me personally and for our church. Um, in the subsequent three months after that, uh, we lost, uh, uh, Jenny and I, uh, between immediate and extended family, three family members, all to an untimely death. And this is what I know about those experiences, that death, unlike anything else that we experience in this lifetime, against our will, whether we like it or not, brings us beyond the edge of where sight can take us and takes us into the realm of necessary faith. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to, I'm going to talk on the topic of death but I want to answer a question. I'm not going to talk about it just broadly. I want to answer a specific question. Why the difficult wage? Why the harsh penalty, the high cost of death as uh, the outcome of sin? Adam and Eve had eaten apples, eaten oranges, apricots, plums, bananas, and then they tried one piece of fruit that God had said, don't eat, the outcome of which is their death. So in, in answering this question, this is actually what I want to do, um, is I want to approach this question while trying to simultaneously hold, uh, successfully, I think we can do, hold together without compromising either our view of God's justice and our view of his goodness. You understand that God's justice does not exist independently of his goodness. They don't exist in separate realms. God's justice and his goodness and his mercy and his compassion all coexist in his person. So how does a just God uh, and a good God, an abundantly, infinitely good God, how do we explain the penalty of death in response to sin? Fifteen minutes. Let me catch you up on the story, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have already eaten the fruit. They realized they were unclothed. Some of you parents may have noticed I softened some of the language for our younger audience in the room. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Remember, they were hiding. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was unclothed, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were unclothed? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me from the tree and I ate, thus launching the timely tradition of blaming our wives for our problems. <laughs> and then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent 
deceived me, and I ate. Thus beginning the other timely tradition of blaming our animals for our other problems. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all of the living and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them and then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So if you have been in, if you've been raised at all in church circles, Christian religion, you're familiar with Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. So I want to offer you three truths, three observations in understanding the penalty. The first one is this. The wages of sin is death because all sin has an expiration date, and sin has always had an expiration date. Do you notice what happened in the story? Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Previously, they had only known good. Now they knew good and evil. And now that they know good and evil, God says, we must make sure that they don't eat of the tree of life. And he says, why? We must be sure that they'll eat of it and live forever with the knowledge of good and evil. God says, it's not my intent, it is not my plan that good and evil will coexist now for all of eternity. No, all sin has an expiration date, and sin has always had an expiration date. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. My sin, all sin, will be destroyed through death. That's kind of a side note. I find it interesting that we actually have the first death in this narrative. 
It says that God, in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. So God takes the life of an animal and clothes them. And in clothing them with clothing that he had made through a death, sends them out of the garden and away from the tree of life. If you go all the way to the end of the story of the Bible, at the end of Revelation, we have exactly the same scenario. We have everything made new. We have the tree of life, and we have God clothing us through a death, right? The righteousness of Jesus, our white robes of righteousness, clothing us and inviting us back into the garden and to the tree of life. All sin has an expiration date, and sin has always had an expiration date. Number two, death is the means by which God eliminates sin. Death is the mechanism. Wages of sin is death, and sin is in me. I can't separate it from me. I can't take sin out of me drop it on the ground, and hit it with a blowtorch. No, it is interwoven into my flesh. It is my nature. You remember we covered this last week. It is my nature, my basic condition, my moral corruption. It's beyond just a decision or a set of decisions. I was heading home from Awana years ago. My second child, Damon, was about five. We were in the drive-thru at McDonald's getting ice cream cones, and Damon told me about a boy at Awana that had been mean to him. I'm actually still looking for that boy, so if you have any clues. I said, Damon, what did you do? And Damon said, well, I was mean to him, because that's how I roll. So, Damon, I understand. Also, God wants us to be kind, to choose to be kind to people who are mean to us. Damon kind of shook his head and said, well, my bones were being mean to him. <laughs> I've had the same thing happen to me. Something in me, something fundamental to who I am was guiding my behavior. I don't want God to keep a tolerable level of sin around for all of eternity. I don't want God to keep an acceptable amount of evil in existence for all of eternity. I'm actually of the camp who thinks it's a great idea to get rid of all of it forever. My dilemma is that sin is in me. And so if sin is to be done away with, then I am done away with. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, David has been, uh, has been um, severed in relationship from his son Absalom because of his murder of his stepbrother, or his half-brother, I guess. 
This has gone on for a long time, and Joab, who's a friend of David, intervenes and sends a, a wise woman from the city of Tekoa in to talk to David about this situation. Him and his son have been uh, estranged from each other. And she says this to David, 2 Samuel 14, 14, for we will surely die and are like waters spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. And yet God does not take away life, but devises ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Isn't that amazing? That we serve a God who, who figures out a means by which those who should be banished are not cast away from him. Now, we don't have time to get into all the details of this. If you've been around Church on the Rock for very long, you've heard us talk about this, but the, the crux of the gospel uh, message as expressed in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When I place my faith in God, my faith in Jesus, he grants me the gift of his righteous spirit that dwells in me and gives me life. Here's the crazy part. The scripture actually says that once sin is gone, death has no function. And so death will be done away with. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is the means by which God eliminates sin. He's going to put sin to death in the flesh. And once death has, has served that purpose, death has no purpose beyond that. And so it's done away with. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And for the believer who has the righteousness of Jesus Christ, death has lost its sting. Which leads us to number three. And this is for the believer, the one who has been united with Christ by faith. Through the death of my body, sin is removed, all of its effects, and my painful memory of it. And this is the miraculous thing to me. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God. That God took this very severe, difficult, tragic penalty, just penalty for sin, and, and flipped it on its head so that it is the very means by which he rescues us from sin. And not just from sin, but all of sin's effects. And, this is repeated throughout Scripture, our painful memory of it. That death for the believer is, is a baptism. It's, it's a washing away. Revelations 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm going to make all things new. And he said, right, these words are faithful and true. 
Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Why? Because through death, sin will be removed, all of its effects and my painful memory of it. Revelations 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life made available to us again in his kingdom of righteousness. He says, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations through death for the person united with the Spirit of Christ. Sin is removed, all of its effects taken away, and my painful memory forever forgotten. I want you to understand that as believers, we don't share these things to trivialize death or to attempt to sort of ignore its pain. Death is a horrible, awful, tragic consequence. And yet, even in the midst of that tragic consequence, we see the goodness of God rescuing us from the clutches of sin. God, would you take our faith beyond where sight can go, God, if there is anyone here in this room who is uncertain and unsure, would you give them the capacity now by your grace to reach out to you by faith to say yes to you this morning? We're so thankful for your goodness. We're thankful that you didn't abandon us, that you didn't desert us, that you came to our rescue that you have saved and are saving us to eternal life. So we come before you now in worship. Would you guys stand? <laughs>